last week, uh, in our time of worship, John Snelson prophesied, uh, make way. How in, and I, I heard something that I thought that's God's word for us for this season, that he wants, he wants to... Uh, He's inviting us to put things aside that stand in the way of following after him. We've had this theme through the summer as we've gone through the middle of Mark's gospel on following Jesus, the call to follow. And we heard this word last week, make way, put aside the things that aren't needed in order better to follow the wonderful, wonderful Lord Jesus. So now we come in Mark chapter 10 to the story of the rich young ruler, which is all about that. What might need to be put aside in order to follow after Jesus. So I'm going to read Mark chapter 10 from verse 17 and as far as verse 27 and comment on a couple of things along the way before then helping us to apply it to our lives. As Jesus started on his way, this is verse 17, A man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. Now at that point, at first reading, it might sound like Jesus is saying he's not God. Might raise a couple of theological questions because Jesus says, No one is good except God alone. I'd like, um, with apologies to Sasha Baron Cohen and Ali G, to uh, offer a different way that this might easily make sense to us because what Jesus is not doing is denying his own goodness or denying his own divinity. He's rather tongue in cheek or with a sparkle in his eye saying, you value my teaching, you call me a good teacher, but just perhaps you, you see who I am. So the way I'd like to translate this is, uh, to help us understand it, is not simply, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. But why do you call me good? Is it because I is God? <laughs> Verse 19. You know the commandments... You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and he loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then, come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were were amazed at his words. They were amazed because... Rich people have so much more opportunity to do things that please God, like helping the poor, paying the priests, offering large sacrifices, building synagogues, taking some leisure time to worship him. Disciples are amazed. If if rich people can't do this, then how on earth can the rest of us? But Jesus said again, children... 
how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Now, this camel and the eye of the needle, you may have heard what's quite a popular interpretation of this, which is that there was a little gate in the wall of Jerusalem, or perhaps a gate, a a door within a gate. You know, if you wander around the city centre in Oxford, and you see the Oxford College gates, and you've got those great big ones that uh, are there, and then often a little gate inside the gate. And the suggestion is that uh, Jesus, that, that, that somewhere there was a little gate called the needle, and you may have heard the suggestion that what Jesus is saying here is, you know, you've got a camel that's heavy laden, it can't get through, the camel's got to get unburdened, and then you can squeeze it through the, the, the gate that's called the needle. Well, that's just not true. Um, the idea that that is what is being said here goes right back to the 11th century. It's a thousand-year-old mistake. Uh, you can find it in Shakespeare, in Richard II. Uh, but there is no evidence that there were gates described in this way in the ancient world. And more to the point, Jesus goes on to say in verse 27, this, this rich people getting into the kingdom, which is like the camel and the needle, the point is, Jesus says, it's impossible. Not, ah, oh, if you just know the right trick to do, if you just humble yourself a little bit, if you just work it out, if you squeeze then you'll get in. No, Jesus says, well, it's, it's impossible. This ought to concern us because however wealthy you feel on the scale of people in this room, globally we're all rich. We're, we're all in the top 5% or whatever it is. Some might be in the top 1% and God bless you. Uh, this ought to concern us. Jesus says it's impossible Well, he says it's hard, and then he says it's impossible, but praise God, he says, with, all, uh, with God, what does it say? All things are possible. So here's my headline question for this morning, and I've just got one question. This is a single-point sermon. The question is this, on what do you rely? On what do you rely? You know, there's a common process that goes on in Christians' lives. Over the years of living as a Christian, this is the com- I want to describe to you the common pattern that goes on. Uh, quite often people receive Christ in their younger life, uh, in their younger years. Most people become Christians between the ages of 4 and 14. But even if this happens later in life, what, you, what happens is that there's a moment when the penny drops as to what the gospel about Jesus Christ means, that it truly is good news because there's an offer of a swap to go on in which we give to Jesus our rubbish, our sin, uh, our sickness, our angst, our anxieties, everything that stands uh, against us, uh, our impending judgment before 
the, the throne of God. We, we give all of that to Jesus. He takes all of it. And by his stripes, we're healed. And this exchange goes on in which we get forgiveness and life and joy and eternal life. And I think that's a really good deal. And we enter into the Christian life full of joy at the good news of Jesus and what he's done for us. Now, here's what very commonly then goes on to happen is that as we start to walk with God, he blesses us. Oh, and he blesses us in so many ways. We couldn't count them all. Uh, For those of you who've just finished year 11 or 13 recently, you'll know the blessing of gaining academic qualifications. And however much work you put in, it's a blessing from God that you got them. But there's so many more. Um, As we walk with Christ, he provides us with church to be family and friends to us. For some, uh, he even provides that special someone whom you will marry. For some, he provides children as a blessing. For many, he provides a job which is satisfying and makes a difference in the world. He provides a home. He provides us with money to spend on things that are enjoyable and a blessing to us. He blesses us and blesses us. He blesses us with skills that enable us to do more good in the world, to get by in the world and enjoy this life. He gives us blessing upon blessing. But this is what so commonly happens, is that bit by bit, the average Christian becomes more absorbed in the blessings than in the Savior. We see this very clearly if we think about what happens when our income, financial income, goes either up or down. When our financial income goes up, we as good Christians thank the Lord for the blessing. If our income ever goes down, we wonder how on earth we'll cope. And what was given to us as a blessing so quickly takes hold of our hearts and what God gives as a blessing because of the fickleness and corruption of our hearts, the blessings of God so quickly become idols in which we trust. And whereas we thanked God at the moment of receiving them, we can then not imagine life without them. It's a bit like uh, Jesus, in his love for us, blessed us by giving us a new mobile phone But now our eyes are glued to the screen. And when he invites us to gaze at him, there's something that he's given that's now getting in the way. God blesses us and blesses us. But so often those very blessings, be they friends, or the marriage that we have, or the money that we have, or the job that we have, or the skills that we have, the physical health that he's given, gifted us, all of these things can become things that have taken hold of our hearts and replace him. For most Christians, therefore, there comes a point where Jesus says, okay, enough's enough, I'm taking the phone back. And some blessing or other that we've enjoyed and for which we thanked God, God takes it away 
because he's more interested in relationship with us. He, want, he wants to bless us because he loves us. But because he loves us, he wants to spend time with us. And here's this complex rea- human reality that, that whilst all blessings come from God, as it says in James 1 verse 17, every good and perfect gift is from above, so often those rich blessings deceive us into thinking that they have a power that they don't actually possess to keep us safe, to lead us into the future, to provide for us. That is, the blessings become idols. So it says in Proverbs 30 and verse 8, This I ask of you, Lord, give me not riches, but only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you. It's hard for rich people to enter the kingdom of heaven because the very blessings of God processed through our fickle hearts become replacements for God. And... uh, That's not their purpose. (laughs) For people who have been greatly blessed, it is so easy to rely on on the blessings rather than simply trusting God. On Thursday, as the third Ashes test began, England cricket fans might have said, we've got Jofra Archer, so it's going to be okay. By Friday, they realized that wasn't quite a secure a hope. On Friday, as Wheatley Community Church finished their annual kids' club, helped by Alan Caroline, some member of Wheatley Community Church may have said, we've now got Alan Caroline McNichol, so we're going to be okay now. Yesterday... As millions of people felt ill across the nation, as they do every day, many said, we've got the NHS, so we're going to be okay. Today, as you consider your future, this is my question. On what are you relying? On what are you relying? Is it on your job, your physical strength? The NHS, your parents, your heritage, your nationality, your children, your skills. I don't know. But there's my question. <laughs> on, what, on what do you rely? Because this was the question that Jesus put to the rich young ruler. He said, are you, are you willing to rely on me? You've got, got all of these riches. You've done loads of good stuff. <laughs> well done. And he loved him. You've got all these riches, but are you able to place following me above those riches? Are you able to let go of them because you know that it's all right to trust in me? On the 17th of July, just over a month ago, just after I'd finished breakfast with um, Mr. Watt, the principal at Tyndale Community School, my phone rang. Uh, and My phone rang with the news that Ed Evans whom some of you will know, had had a massive heart attack. For those of you who don't know Ed, uh, Ed was the pastor of Abingdon Community Church, and it so happens one of 
my oldest friends and for Bev too. Um, ever since Ed and I were students together, he had a massive heart attack, and many of you will know two days later he was dead. Many of you were here for the Thanksgiving, and uh, that we held uh, a couple of weeks later. And now, um, I, I am bereaved, as are a number of, of you. Um, I've never previously known the death of someone both so close to me and so like me. We're the same age, more or less. Both came to Oxford University and gained a life sciences degree and then a doctorate. He went on further academically than me. But so like me in so many ways. And I am bereaved. Uh, like me, he had a priceless wife and three brilliant children. Like me, Ed was... Uh, the pastor of a local church. He was also the longest-serving church leader in Abingdon and the chair of Churches Together in Abingdon. Like me, he had a great network of support and, with all of that in place, a bright, secure future, a productive, influential future, a love-filled future lying before him. And then... He died. And um, I don't know all the things that should be said. Need, I don't even know all that I feel yet. And those of you that know grief know it's just early days in a process. But I know this. Our lives are held simply in God's hands and no one else's. Our lives are not held in the hands of the NHS, good though it is. They're not upheld by our wealth, our skills, our connections, or even the care of our loved ones. Our lives are in God's hands and no one else's. This is what Jesus wanted the rich young ruler to get. Your life doesn't lie in the great wealth that you have. Seems, young man, that you know that I'm God. You've got a glimmer of understanding that you know that I'm God, and here I am for you, and I love you, and I'm inviting you to follow me. Come follow me. Would you trust me? Would you rely on me? I want to recount a story which for people who have been in this church for a number of years, you know full well. It's been so helpful to many of us over years. It's a story from the time of the genocide in Rwanda and Burundi when um, uh, a woman called Chrissy Chapman, who was sent out by a church that was then part of the Salt and Light Network, which we're part of, was in Burundi and supporting survivors, refugees from the genocide. And they gone to the refugee camp with great big barrels full of porridge to feed people who were destitute. And as they got close to emptying one of these barrels of porridge, uh, Chrissy had one bowl's worth left, and she saw an elderly gentleman sat by himself. And so she decided to take this over to him and sat and talked with this elderly gentleman in the refugee camp who turned out was in his 80s 
And in the genocide that had just taken place, he'd been forced to leave his home. There he was, a refugee. And in addition, every single member of his extended family had been murdered. If I remember rightly, several dozen people. Children, grandchildren, all been murdered. And he sat there in a refugee camp, the age of 80, by himself, depending on some British woman to come and give him porridge to sustain him. And as, after they finished their conversation and Chrissy stood up and went back to be busy with what needed doing, he called out to her and he said, Missy Missionary, said, I want you to know, I didn't know that Jesus was all I needed until Jesus was all I had. Well, there's the truth. Jesus is all we need. And Jesus says to the rich young ruler, sell everything. You don't, you don't need it. If you follow me, you don't need that stuff because you'll have me. And he loved him. Now, if all of this sounds a little somber, I'd like to contrast the rich young ruler with the man in another parable who digs fields. In Matthew 13, it says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. So this is the contrast. The rich young ruler for whom the blessings he'd received had for him taken hold of his heart and become an idol he would not destroy... He went away sad, face fell, sad young ruler. But for the person who sells everything to gain eternal life in Christ, that person is joyful, is happy. It's a serious matter, but the outcome of our trusting God is promised to be joy. So I come back to my question this morning. On what do you rely? Do you rely on all those blessings which will make you sad, anxious, wondering if the blessings are enough, where the next blessings will come from, how it's all going to work? Or you rely on the Lord and have your heart filled with joy? That's the choice that lies before us. And we're going to sing a song in just a moment, if the band could come back, that's just going to help us to... You know what the right answer to that question is, right? I've made that clear enough by now. <laughs> There's an invitation to just make a good choice and choose to rely on Jesus. And I just want to allow for a moment's quiet, because there's a twofold thing here. On the one hand, it would be good for us in a moment of quiet, each to just name before the Lord the things that <sighs> have got hold of our hearts and think, actually, truth be told, I'm relying more on... You know, the fact that I've got a great personal pastor who'll sort me out or whatever it is that's taken, whatever it is that's become an idol in your life, um, whatever it is, just take a moment to, just to name that before the Lord and then we're going to finish by doing the best thing, which is telling Jesus that we trust him and that we're going to rely on him.